0: Thank you very much, Karen, for ministering in music. Until that day comes, our desire should be to be faithful to the Lord, yielded to him, living in sensitivity to him. As we interact with God's word this morning, trust your desire is to be a doer of God's word, not a hearer only. And as I mention occasionally, I share scripture out of a love for God, out of a love for God's word, and out of a love for you as a body of believers. Let's pause for a moment of silence as we reflect in God's word. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ in light of what Karen sang about. We thank you for the written word and it's our desire to be hearers and doers as we look at a part of what Mark has to say. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. As we consider God's word this morning, Depending on the direction of your life, it may be encouraging to you or it may be convicting. Again, depending on the direction of your life, how you're living and you're responding in life. I have a question, not looking for a response, a thought question. Who or what owns your soul? Who or what owns your soul? Probably the most famous author of the 1930s was William Somerset Mom Willie. He was an accomplished novelist, playwright, and short story writer. His novel, Of Human Bondage, is a classic. His play, The Constant Wife, has gone through thousands of stagings. He was a man who lived for his own refined taste his comfort, and his sexual perversions. In 1965, at the age of 91, he was still a fabulously rich man. Although he had not written a word in years, he still received some 300 fan letters each week. What had the life of Willie brought him? The London Times carried this excerpt by his nephew, nephew Robin. I looked around the drawing room at the immensely valuable furniture and pictures and objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. I remembered that the villa itself, the wonderful garden I could see through the windows, a fabulous setting on the edge of the Mediterranean were worth about $1,600,000. Willie had 11 servants, including his coconut, who was the envy of all the other millionaires on the Riviera. He dined off silver plates, waited on by Marcus, his butler, and Henry, his footman, but it no longer meant anything to him. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his spectacles at the Bible, which had very large print. His face was grim. I've been reading the Bible you gave me, and I've come across the quotation. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I must tell you, my dear Robin, that the text used to hang over my bed when I was a child. Of course, it's all a bunch of bunk. But the thought is quite interesting all the same. Robin goes on to describe an empty Bitter old man who repeatedly fell into shrieks of terror, crying, Go away! I'm not ready! I'm not dead yet! I'm not dead yet! I tell you! He was a man who had gained the whole world and lost his own soul. A keeper who lost. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus, as he speaks about discipleship, he tells the twelve that they had the wrong view of discipleship. They were thinking kingship. And he says that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law and must be killed. And after three days rise again. And then Peter rebuked him. But Jesus turned around and rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. And in Mark 8 and verse 34, as Jesus speaks to the twelve and to the crowds, he says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The twelve had left all to follow Christ. And they probably are getting a little feel where Jesus is coming from because he had just given them some input on what to expect Rejection, suffering, impossible death. Peter didn't like that, so he rebuked Jesus. The Roman believers to whom Mark is writing had gone through persecution, facing some difficulty, and I think they were encouraged as they heard this letter. Yeah, we have suffered, we've been rejected. Some of us have lit Nero's garden, some of us have had our properties confiscated for the sake of Christ so when they hear what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul in verse 36 I think the Roman believers would have been encouraged we have followed Christ and it's been costly to us and as Jesus shares concerning discipleship What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Willie may have gained the world, but forfeit his soul. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Jesus is communicating if one seeks the world... He or she forfeits his soul. I think he's talking about a direction of life. There's no halfway discipleship. There's no divided heart loyalty. One cannot be Christ's disciple and pursue gaining the world. It's an issue of focus of life, not the amount that one possesses. What the focus of life. What good is it? What gain is it for someone for 40, 60, 80, 90 years to pursue the world yet forfeit their soul? A couple of definitions begin with the world. Let's go to 1 John Chapter 2, John would give a brief explanation of the world. 1 John chapter 2, John is writing to people, telling them about Christ and encouraging them. And one of the reasons is he is writing is so that their joy may be full and so that they may know that they have eternal life. When he talks about obedience to God, and in verse 15 of 1 John 2, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boastings of what he has and does come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. He talks about not loving the world, and he describes what is in the world, the cravings of the sinful man. All humans by nature, being born in sin, separated from God and in need of Christ, have cravings, you know, the sinful man. People come to faith in Christ and, you know, they receive life in Christ. But think about the cravings of the sinful man. People love power. My brothers and I displayed power when we were kids. You know, you picked on the next one down and, you know, I'm more powerful than you. And this is terrible, but I remember laying on the floor looking up, one of my brothers on top of me, you know, if you don't admit that I'm stronger than you, I'm gonna let this saliva come into your face. You know, that's an issue of power. You say, you guys were bad, just like you. You just did different things. (laughs) You know, that's part of the cravings of the sinful man, the whole issue of sexuality. You know, sex drives that seek to satisfy themselves outside of God's design. You know, the cravings of the sinful man, things, the accumulation of things, you know, I want more than the next guy. He talks about the lust of the eyes. The Roman believers would not have had quite the advertising that we have today, but advertising is appealed, or appeals to the lust of the eye. You know, they're trying to sell something. It's got to be beautiful. They want to sell a truck. And put a female there. the lust of the eye, you don't see the downside. But whether it be Adam and Eve seeing the fruit appealing to the eye, or whether it be the Roman believers seeing some object appealing to the eye. Also, John says, the boastings of what one has and does. If you're into boats, well, I got a bigger boat than this guy or this lady. Ah, look at my business. It's prospering more than the next business. Look at my house. It's nicer than my neighbor's. Boy, my car makes theirs look like a piece of junk. Ah, I got this new piece of technology. And they're still back in the 1980s. I got this computer game, this new one. You now, I've been very successful. The boastings of what one has and does. God, Christ, Scripture are left out of the thinking and reasoning. The thought patterns just let out God. Some people make it their point of life to pursue the world. The cravings of the sinful person, the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boastings of what one has and does. That's their drive in life. That's where they're headed in life. Their things, their cravings own them rather than their things and cravings being submitted to Christ. What good is it, what profit is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Soul is talking about the immaterial part. If you please, the attitudes, the mind, the beliefs, the values. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world or forfeit his soul? The material part of a person. Willie, coming to death. Screaming some of what he did. Versus my brother coming to death. And saying, I'm ready. I kind of wish it would come soon because I'm weary of the pain. He says about forfeiting the soul to visit with loss to suffer detriment. The forfeiture or forfeiting is both now and eternally. Jesus is talking about following him. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? The Roman believers are hearing this. And some of them have died for their faith. Others have had property confiscated. Some have been going through difficult times. What an encouragement. We have chosen not to make the world our God. An encouragement. Ah, this is great stuff. Our stuff doesn't own us. Our desires don't own us. They're tools for God's glory. Encouragement to the Roman believers. We are followers of Christ. We're going through this difficulty, but we're on track. Look at Mark chapter 10 for an example of one who was pursuing the world and forfeiting his soul. Mark 10 and verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The man's soul was owned by his wealth. And he was not willing to part with that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 through 10, if you want to turn there, we'll find that Paul, as he writes to Timothy, in the context of dealing with correct doctrine and so on, says 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I begin reading with verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, into godly teaching he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Godliness with contentment is great gain. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. When Jesus is giving the invitation to discipleship, He's saying, you can't pursue the world and me at the same time. It's not an issue of how many things we have. It's not an issue of how much money we have. It would be an issue of what owned the soul of the twelve. What owned the soul of the Roman believers. And for a Roman believer to have property confiscated... Indicative that they would forfeit their wealth for the well-being of their soul. James 5, we won't read it, but again, it talks about wealth and how you handle it. The world and how you handle it. What good is it for a man to gain the world and yet forfeit his soul? It's not an issue of the amount of things. You can have nothing and still be pursuing the world. You can have a lot and not pursuing the world. (coughs) What owns our soul? Think about the resources that God has blessed you with. Do they own you? Or are they tools for God's glory? Think about the technological items that are available today. You walk into a store or you look at a magazine or you get on the internet and you just, I got to have it. I got to have it. Can't be content. What owns our soul? You have a great job. I'm talking to those of you who are maybe 40 or under. You have a great job, but you're living for retirement. And in the process of living for retirement, you're living or missing the journey of enjoying your job for God's glory. A few number of years ago, I guess I was somewhat shocked, I heard a guy in his early 30s said, I can't wait to retire. That's what I'm living for. And I thought, Bud, you might have 20 to 30 years to go. Why not enjoy the journey of working so that you can enjoy retirement when that comes? But again, for that guy, retirement owned him. The whole issue of in control. Sometimes we think we have to be in control. The world wants to be in control. Does it... End up controlling us. Sex, pornography, part of the world that can control a person, how they live, how they respond, are just desiring to be accepted. And because we want to be accepted, we zip the lip in speaking of Christ because we don't want to offend anyone. Years ago, when we were living in Chattanooga, we had a three room apartment. It was pretty bad, according to my mother and my mother in law, because when they came, brought Ruth Ann down to see me before we. About a month and a half before we get married, I said, I got an apartment, and my mother and my mother-in-law both said to me, you cannot move in here with Ruth Ann." Walls were pink, the floor was pink, the ceiling was pink. You looked out the window, and it was gray because the windows were that dirty, and we were on a second floor, and there were lots of windows. You walked into the living room, into the bedroom. From the bedroom, you went to the kitchen. From the kitchen, you went back a hallway to the bathroom. So whenever anyone came to see us and they were going to stay overnight, they had to go through our bedroom to get to the bathroom. There was a porch behind us that uh, the neighbor kids would occasionally crawl up on. And since there were windows in two sides of our bedroom, we were taking a little snooze one day and all of a sudden we hear, uh, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Brubaker. (laughs) They crawled up on the porch roof. I say all that to say that as Danny came along and he was in the living room for his bedroom and we knew that Beth Ann was coming along, I said to Ruth Ann, maybe we ought to move. And lo and behold, the next place across the way became available. It was six rooms, upstairs apartment, double the rent. We battled with that for a while before we decided to stay where we were because we knew we were going to be moving in a, not before too long. But the battle was something better. It's not that it would have been wrong for us to move, but if we moved because we had to have something better to be content, then that would have began to own us. When Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the world, yet forfeit his soul? I think he's talking about a direction of life. A person pursuing the love of things, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eye, the boastings of what one has and does, versus following Christ. It's not an issue of how much. It's the direction. Who owns your soul? I'm asking, I'm not answering. You can answer that. Who owns your soul? What is the direction of your life? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So we think about that. We're going to sing together.